I'm Beth Katz, and you're listening to Toro Town Talks. In this episode, I'm excited to introduce you to Beth Katz. Beth has dedicated her professional life to doing work that benefits the common good. With Durham Bowls, she's an integral part of an innovative initiative to improve school food for Durham Public Schools. With Upstream Works, she's founded a new and amazing way to support the building of equitable communities. She's one of the directors of Food Inside Group, whose motto even is, Good Food, Common Good. Beth holds a PhD in Nutrition, Intervention and Policy from UNC Chapel Hill, and on top of all the amazing work she does in her day-to-day work life, she's also a board member at the Durham Co-op Market. Now, it can't exactly be taken for granted that people want to dedicate their lives to the common good. So my first question for Beth is the following. What is it about working for the common good that's just so appealing? What a good question to start off with. Um, I don't really think I've ever felt like there was an alternative that I would feel good about. I think that in everything that I've done throughout my life, chosen to spend my time on, it's often been focused on how to improve what's around me. So whether that's, you know, food through Food Insight Group or the ability for small community-based organizations or individuals who want to do good in their communities, helping them to be able to get grants to fund their work, it just feels like what I need to do. I don't think I would have considered a career or a profession that I didn't feel helped people or the world. Why do you think that is? I think there's a lot wrong that we all need to work on. <laughs> and I don't know what makes me feel like I need to be a part of that, but I do. So uh, a different way of asking the question I just asked is uh, uh, to focus on the difference between you and a Wall Street banker uh, or anyone else who's largely working to enrich themselves financially. Uh, what kind of experience do you think that uh, you have had that has made you take a different path than someone who ends up Uh, working mainly to enrich themselves? I honestly don't think I've ever thought about this as a choice. It just feels like I always had an inner drive to do good, and I don't really understand why everyone doesn't have that. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I think I, I do wonder how people who work as a Wall Street banker or something that's considered not a job for humanity, I do wonder what drives them or motivates them. But that's kind of my my next question. When you do encounter people that are obviously only doing what they're doing because it's going to make them rich, what's your reaction? I try not to judge them to their face, but I do have a really hard time understanding it because I feel like, again, there's just so much wrong in the world. And to not know that it is your responsibility to work toward making the world better for everyone. I just don't really understand. I think especially when you live a life that is relatively easy and privileged, I think you have a particular responsibility to understand how that privilege has made your life better and work to share that. Have you ever been tempted to cross over and just use all your skills to enrich yourself? No, I've joked about it before (laughs) (laughs) because you don't often get paid particularly well when you're working for the common good as opposed to to enrich yourself. Um, 
but no, I mean, I think in my field, the way I would see a way to do that is by working for a big food corporation. And I just don't think I could handle myself if I did that. I would hate that. How much of it uh, has to do with the with the professional lifestyle that comes with it? Because if you're really in it to make the most uh, possible money you can, it's a different lifestyle. I would imagine that's not my life either, but I would imagine <laughs> that that's a, a, a quite different lifestyle from from what your life looks like. That's true. I feel like I have built my career around trying to maintain flexibility and work-life balance and happiness and fulfillment. And I think it would look very different if you worked for a big food corporation or um, in some other way we're making a lot of money. Now, I could be a professor and stay in that field for a long time and eventually I might make a nice salary. But academia has never totally appealed to me just because I think, again, the work-life balance can be tricky and I don't think that fits my personality as well as being able to work for myself and the organizations that I'm a part of. Uh, so your field is applied food systems research. Would I be correct in assuming that this wasn't the specific field you were dreaming of working in when you were a little kid? <laughs> you uh, are correct. <laughs> so what what did you want to be when you were a little kid? When I was little, I really wanted to be a vet. I have always loved animals a lot. And that was, I think, the field that I was aware of as a little kid where I would get to hang out with animals all day long. At some point, I think I was maybe in ninth grade or so, I realized that vets have to sometimes hurt animals to help them. And you can't really explain to an animal why you're doing this, that it's for their benefit. And I realized that I didn't know if I'd be able to do that. And so I thought I needed to find another career path. And around the same time, I started becoming more interested in nutrition and doing research on my own. Um, I think this was around the time that we got internet in my house. <laughs> and so I was able to start uh, looking up questions that I had about nutrition and how it worked and kind of health more generally. And I became really interested in that. And that is what brought me into the field of applied food systems research eventually. So there wasn't like one specific aha moment where you went, okay, my field should definitely be applied food systems research. There wasn't one moment, but I initially actually started, I also really love to travel. And so initially when I was in college, I was studying human nutrition and I was working at the Cancer Research Center. And I realized that international nutrition was a field. And that was really appealing to me because I knew I was interested in research and not being a dietitian or a nutritionist for patients. I really wanted to participate in research. So when I realized that international nutrition was a thing and that I could travel for my job, I got really excited about that. And that was when I thought I had figured out what my field was and what my calling was. And I did that for a couple of years. I worked at a research lab um, for UNC and got to do some international field work. And it was an incredible opportunity, an amazing experience for me. When I started my PhD at UNC, it was in nutrition intervention and policy. And I got to do a bit more field work. And all of the international field work I did, I felt like it was really enriching for me personally. It was a really good experience for me. And I learned a lot. But I felt uncomfortable with the idea that I was 
there or at least perceived to be there to tell people what they should be eating. And I felt really uncomfortable with that because um, often what I was saying was essentially you should stick with your traditional food culture because it's much healthier than the Western diet, which is expanding throughout the world and really changing diets throughout the world. And so I was basically saying, don't eat my diet, eat your diet. And that felt like a really weird thing to be telling people. And I didn't feel like that was my role. I felt like I was learning a lot more from them than I was doing any good. So I ended up after my first year in the PhD program, I took a year off because I was feeling really burned out, kind of disillusioned. And I didn't feel good about what I was doing, but I didn't know what the alternative was. So I went to permaculture school back in Oregon, where I'm from, and it was amazing. I lived in my tent for six weeks in the forest in Oregon, and I learned about how to grow food, and I learned about natural building, and it was a really wonderful experience for me. And I spent the rest of the year working on farms in Utah and Alaska. And I remember a very clear moment when I was working in a greenhouse in Alaska, transplanting little tiny plants. And I was thinking about, okay, it's getting to be the end of this year off. I'm, I know I'm going to go back to school. I don't want to quit, but I don't feel like international nutrition research is the right field for me. And I had this aha moment that I'd been so happy working on farms and in agriculture for this past year. And oh my gosh, that's not disconnected from food. (laughs) In nutrition, we don't often talk about the full cycle of planting a seed in the ground and soil health and how that impacts human health later on down the food system pathway. So I had this aha moment that I didn't have to leave my field. I could actually just study food systems instead. And this really related back to what I had observed in all the places I had been internationally. The problem was never that people didn't know what they should or shouldn't be eating. It was really that the food system wasn't working for them. And that was really the fault of the Western food system, which is my food system. So I felt like if I worked domestically and did food systems work, then I could potentially have a bigger impact and wouldn't feel that discomfort of going into other people's homes and <laughs> telling them that they were doing it wrong, right. which is what I felt like I was essentially doing. So One thing I can't help but notice is that uh, once again, it becomes very much about the lifestyle uh, that follows your academic path. Like you talked about traveling a lot. You talked about living in a tent. I don't know. I guess I expected more than anything that it, that it would be like almost 100% about the work. But you keep emphasizing the the entailing uh, lifestyle, which is really cool. There's obviously nothing bad about that. But it's interesting that that plays such a big role. Yeah, I never thought about that. Um, I think I have a hard time thinking of my work and my life as two separate things. So I don't want my whole life to be about my work. But I do feel like my work is an extension of me. It is a big part of my life. And so I don't think I would be a very happy person if I felt like I was dedicating my entire life to my work or my career. So I think that is probably why I emphasize lifestyle. But at the same time, I I think my work really carries into or informs the way I live my life. So... I think, yeah. they're, I think they're the same for me. <laughs> yeah, okay. What's an annoying thing that a lot of people get wrong about food and nutrition? 
it might be something that you hear all the time among people or in the news or somewhere else, something that just drives you nuts. There are a lot of those. <laughs> um, That's a good one. Yeah. Or a really bad one. <laughs> so I often, when people ask me what I do, I usually don't say nutrition, even though technically I have a PhD in nutrition. But I've found that if I say that, people automatically think that I care about what they ate that day. And I care as in I hope they had nourishing food to eat. Sure. But I really don't care to critique it or judge it in any way. And I think people are often worried that I'm going to judge their food choices Or the other alternative is that they will start to judge my food choices. And I don't like that. So I never call myself a nutritionist and I don't work as a nutritionist. But I think that some of the things that really drive me crazy are when in school food, for example, we work a lot in school food and there are federal guidelines for nutrition in school food. And that's really important. It's incredibly well-meaning, but I think one of the unintended consequences of focusing so much on nutrients is that you forget about the food. And people eat food, not individual nutrients, unless they're <laughs> subsisting on multivitamins, which I hope no one is. Um, so I think, I think the food is really important to keep in mind. And that might sound silly, but I think, you know, one of my frustrations with the National School Breakfast Program is that there's a product called the Super Donut, which meets all of the federal nutrition requirements for school breakfast, and it's served in many districts across the country. Um, and it comes as a packaged donut-looking food product, mm -hmm. and it's fortified with all of the nutrients that you have to check off boxes for in order to be compliant with the National School Breakfast Program. But what it's doing is teaching kids that Donuts are appropriate breakfast foods, which I have no problem with that sometimes, but I don't think it's a good lesson to learn that that's an appropriate breakfast every single morning. And it's it's conveying this message, I think, that we care more about the nutrients than about whether the food nourishes us in other ways. And as I said before, food is culture. It's an expression of love and connection and history And all of that is really critically important. I think we need to keep in mind that we can't separate that meaning and that way of nourishing through food. So I'm frustrated when people reduce food to nutrients. And also there are things that are just old science, like, for example, the cholesterol that you eat in eggs. That dietary cholesterol does not translate directly to your blood cholesterol. So people are, you know, if their cholesterol is high, they think they need to not eat eggs. And that's actually not scientifically accurate. That's a perfect pet peeve to have. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, last question here. I know you believe in the power of food as something that connects people. What's the ideal meal for two strangers to have if they want to have the best odds of connecting with each other? I think one way to think about that is if one person has a food culture that they enjoy sharing with other people and the other person is not super familiar with it so that they have something right off the bat to talk about. And it, I think when you're talking about food that's important to you um, because it's part of your heritage or your family traditions or for any reason, um, people get really passionate. Uh, food is really emotional. And so I think that showing people a bit of who you are in the way that you talk about food that's important to you is really wonderful and connecting. And I think when you feel like someone is sharing 
an emotional kind of deep thing with you, it offers a bonding moment. So I would say maybe if someone has special food to share, then that would offer things to talk about. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of Torah Town Talks. If you're inspired by Beth and everything she does, I'd recommend you attend the big annual Durham Bowls event on October 12th, 2019 at the Scrap Exchange. Here you'll get to witness 10 different teams that are all competing to come up with the best possible school lunch that can be made in real-world school kitchen conditions. Tickets are only $6, and don't worry, you'll get to sample all the amazing food. Check out durhambowls.org for more information. This episode was recorded, produced, and edited by me, Miguel Elbeck, and the theme tune was done by granddaddy's Jason Lytle. He has a new instrumental album out called Nylon and Juno, and I think it will be an ideal soundtrack for your workday tomorrow. So check it out, and thanks again for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe.